then that's where things get challenging, I think, because more and more these incidences are occurring and we're needing to help our students and our patients and our colleagues navigate the space. And we need the diversity of the workforce and of faculty so that we're prepared for the future. What is the National Commission to Address Racism in Nursing? And how can we address this issue head on? Let's talk all about it in part one of a special two-part series with members of the commission right here on this episode of The Nurse Keith Show. Hey there, this is Nurse Keith. This podcast is always about you, your personal and professional development, your career, and the healthcare system and nursing profession as a whole. And I'm here to share education ideas, diatribes, and informative interviews with some of the most inspiring people from the worlds of healthcare, nursing, medicine, entrepreneurship, and beyond. I love having you along for the ride, and I thank you from the very bottom of my nurse podcaster's heart for being part of the growing Nurse Keith Nation. And if you'd like to help other people find the show, consider leaving a rating and review at Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever app you happen to use to listen. And consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash Nurse Keith. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Nurse Keith. I appreciate my patrons so much and my reviewers and raters as well. So please consider those requests. Head over to nursekeith.com to find the show notes if you would like to see them. And we are here with Dr. Deborah Tony, Dr. Rume Alexander, and Dr. Laura Fenimore. They are all members of the National Commission to Address Racism in Nursing. And I appreciate having all of you here This is the first of two parts. This is a very, very important topic right now in 2022. And I want to start with Dr. Rume Alexander. Rume, racism is seen by many of us, most of us, as being structural and built into many of our systems. What could you say to reflect on that? Um, How would you like to... to, um, paint that picture? Well, it seems that in policies, in everyday conversation, in legislation, uh, political pieces where what's always captured is what's going on in the moment, the realities of the moment, uh, there are these elements that have if you will, some might even call them assumptions that get placed into the bigger picture. And because they have been in place for so long, they've been embedded over time. And so they don't necessarily surface in the same ways as they might have in the past. So an example of that would be, it's not necessarily that someone's calling someone a label that's offensive. And yet structurally, assumptions are made about what certain individuals might do or are pre- predicted to do. And then a, an algorithm can be based on that, that might even play out in a drug delivery for uh, a disorder, or it could be about who benefits and gets what. So racism at its core is about superiority. And it's about who should have what. Hmm. And that creates the haves and the have-nots the lessers and the greaters, 
And out of that comes privilege and who's deserving. Uh, Out of that comes discrimination. Mm -hmm. And so as we think about how we move and have our being in our everyday lives, those things are embedded, be it where the grocery store is located or the bus stop might be, or even uh, around access to um, internet capabilities and technology. Absolutely. So that betting is is so automatic that it's implicit, buried deeply, and it's operating all the time. And often we're not even aware of it. Mm-hmm. But for those who have been at the um, target of it, it's very much upfront and on the mind. Well said. And that could also include where toxic waste is stored in a city, you know, what neighborhood we put it next to. It could be which neighborhoods get bisected by a new highway being built through a city. You know, we're not going to bisect a rich white neighborhood, right? With a highway. Right. So it could be any of those things. And from my perspective, coming from somewhat of like a public health and population health kind of perspective, mm-hmm. we could say that that nurses need to look at the whole spectrum of human condition, right? We can't just look at a disease or a symptom, uh, a group of symptoms, right? We have to look at the big, big picture, don't we? We do. It's the intersectionality of, of all of those pieces coming together. Uh, what you just described, many refer to as the social determinants of health. But one Thank must you. remember that uh, social determinants of health are an outcome. They're downstream. Upstream is the systemic piece where the decisions, the uh, assumptions, the implications were made and used to formulate a policy, a rule, a practice, a way of being, a way of caring. So in order, systems problems require system solutions. Mm -hmm. So we need to go upstream because what's downstream is the social determinants, where you live. Right, lead in the water, right, any of those things. That intersection, exactly. Yes, that's a reflection yeah. of what was done upstream. Well, I like metaphors, so I like the upstream downstream metaphor. That's really helpful to think in that term. And Dr. Deborah Tony, in terms of um, coming to terms with what's actually happened, you know, in the course of history, and Dr. Alexander just kind of painted this broad stroke picture of all these different social determinants. And how do we, what's that process of reckoning, you know, to, to really come to this place of admitting like, yeah, this is, this is what happened and what's happening. What, how do we get to that place? I know that's a big picture question, but I'm curious for your reflections on that. (laughs) Well, and it is, and Ramey, like you said, did, paint a, uh, a great picture, but when it comes to reckoning and being able to um, really admit certain inequities and those type of things that uh, happened, and I believe that uh, ANA did a great job at stepping it out because um, I, I just think about the organization that I represent in SEMNA, the National Coalition of Ethnic Minority Nurse Associations. These five ethnic associations Actually, we were formed because of those inequities 
uh, and the structural racism and the issues that remain uh, just talked about, the inequities in power and access, et cetera. Uh, and, and that's often been hard for other individuals and other organizations uh, to come to terms with, with, well, why are you all calling, you know, yourself still the National Black Nurses Association mm -hmm. or the Filipino Nurses Association, which are members of Insemna? Well, that reckoning has not occurred. Um, you have forgotten that we could not participate uh, in these other organizations. So I think it's going to take a lot for organizations and individuals to come to terms because as we move further in history and we see that history now, uh, we have a tendency to want to wipe out history and create a new uh, a new story. Uh, so, but I think, I don't think it's going to be as easy uh, as we think it is. But I think with ANA, who represents 4 million nurses, you know, made a good stab at that. And as they uh, owned up to some of their issues, hopefully we will hear from other organizations who can admit to um, some of those same things. Thank you. Thanks. That's, that's really helpful. And Dr. Laura Fenimore, this commission was put together and there's quite a few members. Who, who is represented and what's your view on why and how this commission came to be? So maybe I'll take your second question first. Why it came to, to be, I think um, Romay and Deborah have given us some good context in which to have this, this conversation and for this work to be recognized that now is the time for us to do this. We recognize that we're overdue. Mm -hmm. We've been overdue for a long time to, to be having these conversations, to be doing the work that needs to, to be done to address racism, specifically within nursing. And I think we, nurses have been recognized as the most trusted profession for more than 20 years. And yet within our own profession, we recognize that nurses have been hurt. Nurses have not had the opportunities that they should have had in practice and education and research and certainly in the policies that helped drive each one of those, those aspects of, of nursing. So the time was right in the sense that we saw the, the devastating effects upon people of color caused by the pandemic. And that was happening at the same time that there was tremendous recognition of the terrible injustices that were occurring throughout our country and had been occurring. They came to, together, I believe, at the, at the point of the murder of, of Mr. George Floyd and the many additional events that occurred after, after that and unfortunately are still continuing where um, people of, of color are at risk because of the injustices within our, our systems. So with that, the nursing came together to form a national commission to address racism in nursing. And it's led by four different nursing organizations, 
the American Nursing uh, Nurses Association, rather being one. But as Dr. Tony mentioned, the National Coalition for Ethnic Minority Nurse, Nurse Associations, NSEMA, the National Black Nurses Association, NBNA, and the National Association for Hispanic Nurses. So those four organizations are the leads for this commission. But we recognize that there was a need to include many other voices in this commission. And so there are approximately 18 other organizations that are also um, represented by a commissioner on this, this uh, auspicious group. And many of those organizations represent nurses of other ethnic minorities, groups like the Asian American Pacific Islander Nurses Association, CAEDA Phi, which is a sorority that is represents nurses uh, and student nurses of many cultures and diverse uh, backgrounds. The Na National Alaska or Native American Indian Nurses Association, the National Association of Indian Nurses of America, the Philippine Nurses Association of America, the Minority Nurse and the ANA Minority Nurse Fellowship Program. And then there are other groups within nursing that also have an interest and a stake in this, including some of the larger organizations like the American Academy of Nursing, the um, American Nurses Credentialing Center, the American uh, Nursing Foundation, NLN, the Organization for uh, Associate Degree Nurses. Um, and then there are the, the representatives from our regional and state nurses associations representing nurses in the eastern uh, Midwestern, Southeastern, and Western regions of the country. I've had the opportunity to participate as a representative from specialty nursing organizations. You know, we have our individual members, we have state member memberships within ANA, but ANA also has organizational affiliates who are a part of that organization. And those are specialty nursing organizations, many nurses. Um, while we would love to, to have all nurses be a part of, of ANA, we know that many belong to their specialty organization. And so the inclusion of representation from the specialty nursing organizations was also very important. And many of those specialty nursing organizations contributed to the um, discussions that you'll hear more about uh, when we talk about the, the work of the different committees or task forces that help to put together a report regarding the National Commission to Address Racism in Nursing. Thank you. Thanks for, for elucidating all of that. And Dr. Fenimore, you're a professor of nursing at the University of Pittsburgh School of Nursing. Correct. And you um, you work with nurses who were enrolled in the Doctor of Nursing Practice Health Systems Executive Leadership Program. So you're working with, with students across that spectrum, probably from undergrads mm -hmm. to, you know, the ones who are in what we might call terminal degree program. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> I want to ask this question, and I'm not sure how 
how you would like to answer it. And maybe Dr. Alexander and Dr. Tony would like to speak to it too. But is this issue being addressed in nursing schools? Like, does this come up? I know social determinants of health are discussed in nursing school because I've been through two programs myself. But what about these issues that have arisen in the last several years, especially since, you know, George Floyd and Black Lives Matter? Like, how how is this being addressed in the nursing education sphere, let's say? Well, I'll start off and then certainly be interested in, in hearing from Ramey and, and Deborah. Um, yes. At the undergraduate level, we've begun, and I would say only begun in the last few years, to put more emphasis on understanding diversity, equity, and inclusion. And in the context of a course that's offered for first year nursing students, there's an opportunity to talk about social determinants health and to talk about implicit bias and to talk about how nurses interact with groups that may not receive equitable care, including people of color. Um, Mm -hmm. But the issues of identification of racism within nursing has just been something that we've started to introduce um, at least in my university, in this um, with within the, the last year or two, uh, recognizing and really amplifying the work of the National Commission. I see. So it's just sort of in its infancy in terms of the conversations. I agree. Okay. Let me just add to that. Oh, Dr. Rume Alexander, go for it. Because I'm in academia as well. I'm a professor in the School of Nursing at UNC Chapel Hill. And I teach a leadership course uh, at the undergraduate level. But I'm also, uh, as a former chief diversity officer for the university, very much aware of universities or microcosms of society. So whatever is happening outside in the world is going to show up in our campus. And quite frankly, wherever we are, we bring our biases with us. So uh, I'm, as I just said, I'm in Chapel Hill. So I'm in the south southeast, where I think those issues were a bit more on the surface because of the history of being in the southeast, and therefore the constant interaction with these invisible forces, or at least people thought they were invisible, but powerful forces that keep people from being admitted to a program, uh, faculty not getting. Uh, tenure or promotions. It affects the hiring practices within a healthcare institution. So these future leaders will have to grapple with those issues. And and part of our job is to get them ready for the real world because academia is a bubble in itself. And as you know, um, once you step out and graduate, it's like, wow, that's that's an eye opener. And so uh, you're facing things you haven't. So uh, curricula has has historically not dealt with the topic. It has sometimes our textbooks and our journals have often reflected in articles or uh, in chapters stereotypes that are just not true, but they're perpetuated because they're taught. We were teaching people how to care for some people and not all people. Example being um, just the ability to assess oxygenation properly. People who are darker skinned don't turn blue. 
And yet all the textbooks say when they're cyanotic, they're blue. So you're going to miss that if you were taught that. I, I mean, I'm a I'm a Tar Heel. I'll be blue if you throw paint on me. I'll have that beautiful Carolina blue on me. But that's the only way I'm going to be blue. So the whole point of what I'm saying to you is that the educational system has kind of talked around it. It's not been as inclusive. It's not been taught in a deliberate way. And often the burden was on the faculty of color to, to either teach those classes or uh, if they're on an admissions committee or a hiring committee to call out what looks like a stereotype and a bias. And I want you to know that I define stereotypes as a form of identity theft. So somebody puts a stereotype on me and they don't know me, but they're treating me like the label they put on me. So they're not allowing me to be me. And, and or in the hiring process, uh, we hire for diversity. And then once we get them, we expect them to assimilate lose the very uniqueness one said they wanted and the authenticity that the institution said they wanted when they hired us. And yet I need you to assimilate. I need you to now lose some of that uniqueness and blend in. So this is a, it, it's, it's a, it's a constant dance uh, because your minority, not about ability, your minority by number. And as you know, we love to rely on Robert's rules of order. Every now and then I say, um, it might be good if we had some Roberta's rules of order. I'm pretty sure they'd be different. Uh, I just I bet, bet they, they would. would. And so this whole process of how we approach the world, what we believe about each other, what's going on outside in the broader world uh, that comes into the classroom and the students. Just like uh, Laura said with the George Floyd, to have the next day walked into a class and talked to students as if that didn't occur is a real problem. And the mm -hmm. students were suffering and they wanted to bring it to the surface. And quite frankly, they're pretty vocal. They're brave and they're young and they're full of energy and courage. And they push us as faculty to talk about these issues. And um, they're concerned about their safety mm -hmm. and, and what's happening that seems to be different from what they've been taught generationally, because we're all products of our environment and we come from different generations. And quite frankly, in the workforce, you've got at least four generations Always. operating yes. who have different lenses and different experiences. Mm -hmm. So when Laura says some of this is becoming, it, it actually is. But in order to become, you've got to be. Mm -hmm. and, and, to, and that's where things get um, challenging, I think, because more and more these incidences are occurring. And we're needing to help our students and our patients and our colleagues navigate the space. Mm -hmm. And we need the diversity of the workforce and of faculty so that we're prepared for the future since the future is where most of us are going to be spending our time. So it's important for us to pay attention to that. Yeah. Most of us, many of us, hopefully will be spending time in the future. And 
I, this is a rabbit hole we don't have time to go down. This would be another conversation. But we know that nursing schools have to teach to the NCLEX, right? Like that's that's the end goal. You have to make sure you cover what's in the NCLEX. And I would just venture a guess, and this is not as an educator, that if we included more of this, these types of questions in the NCLEX, it would have to work its way into nursing school curricula because they would then have to address it. But that would be a whole nother yeah, you're 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 just saying what gets measured gets done. But let me say this clearly: we yes. should not be teaching to the NCLEX. NCLEX mm-hmm. is the floor; it's yes. not the ceiling. All right, but I will agree with you that we understand we have to cover those areas um, mm-hmm. and have people prepared for that. But hopefully, yeah. we're doing much, much, much more than just talking about the floor. That's we're talking about optimum health. That's always the hope. People flourishing in the environment. And that's always the hope um, and the desire because we are vessels of hope. And we really do need to focus on that big picture. Vessels of hope. Well, hold one sec. I just want to say vessels of hope, Dr. Alexander. That's the name of your next book. Just just planting that seed here. So um, Dr. Tony, you wanted to, to jump in and I, well, I want to jump in on, you know, my, uh, academic colleagues from a practice standpoint. Yes. And you are, um, you are the vice president of quality management at Nevada health centers in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the state's largest federally qualified health center. And I come from history of working in FQHCs myself. So, so you have my heart there in terms of that kind of community work. So how would you like to address it from the practice standpoint? You you know exactly what I'm doing then. Yeah. So when, when we look at, I look at uh, academics, academics, you know, education, Mm -hmm. uh, which really should be able to transfer into practice. Uh, I look at practice as it's where the rubber meets the road. So everything that a nurse has learned before, they're going to bring to uh, the practice arena. And the minute you walk into a practice area and everything we're talking about as far as racism, et cetera, we all have our own stories. Now, whether we recognize it or not uh, is who you see. You know, who is the leadership? Uh, Do you have retention issues? I mean, every day, Looking at, you know, I will say I'm involved in social media and a lot of the things that nurses are talking about. And nurses are fed up. They feel discriminated against. They don't know who to talk to. They don't have promotional opportunities. Uh, They just everything that they thought was going to happen in nursing is not. They talk about their leadership and how they get the worst assignments, the crappiest assignments, just a whole host of things. And then just all of the microaggression uh, that happens uh, in organizations, we're really talking about the nurse who's taking care of the patient. So if they're not feeling good about how they're being treated, how and what type of care are they providing Um, to the patient, Uh, and they want their work uh, to be valued, et cetera. We we hear a lot about DEI and and all of those. um, That It's almost, in some cases, and I'm going to just go ahead and say it, it's almost like a Band-Aid. 
to use the term because then people get in these positions and they don't know what to do with these positions. So DEI, you're saying diversity, equity, inclusion? And inclusion. Yes. Uh, And then a lot of uh, education and that type of thing, when you start looking at at the practice arena, you know, you hear uh, it's very difficult, I'm going to say, for people to just come straight out with it. Uh, I know for myself sitting in uh, DEI classes and classes that are supposed to help and address with racism, I don't want to hear about bias. You know, that's the that's the term that everybody uses. And Ramey mentioned that the biases, we don't get away from biases, et cetera. But again, with the millions of nurses that we have and being able to have some open discussions, uh, Deborah has her own tests going into healthcare organizations because the first place I'm going to, and uh, Keith, I'm going to say it, I call it the Hall of Fame or the Hall of Shame. Mm-hmm. Okay, if I don't see any diversity on that wall, uh, you are part of the hall of shame Uh, because, come on, you know, here in Nevada, and I I don't want to talk bad about my state, uh, but there's just a lot of things that's going on when you look at an organization that has a lot of hospitals and you don't have not one chief nurse of color. Tell me what's wrong uh, with that picture. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, you know, again, it's just a, a lack of uh, and, and using those tools for rec- uh, recruitment uh, opportunities, et cetera, as when nurses are running around to different organizations trying to find something different, trying to make sure their voice is heard and that they're not experiencing Uh, racist behavior from their colleagues, but let's just keep it real on that end too, from patients. So what happens, you know, and what does the leadership and how does the leadership address that when it occurs? Thank you. Those are really salient points. And I think coming from the, we have both the, the issues being raised from the academic side and also the practice side, which is both very important, whether we're talking from LPN and CNA programs all the way up to terminal degree programs like a PhD or DNP. And we're also talking about practice where it could be acute care, ambulatory care, FQHCs, like where you work, Dr. Tony. Mm -hmm. And when we come back from the break, the first thing I'd like to do is jump into some definitions. I know the commission has come up with a definition of racism that I'd like to, to have you tell us exactly what that is and some of the differences between terms like diversity, inclusion, equity, you know, these terms that get bandied about, but maybe a lot of people don't actually know how to tell the nuances and then the apart in terms of what do these things really mean and how do they impact our daily lives as nurses and citizens? So when we come back from the break, we'll dive into that and much more. Stay tuned. We're here with Dr. Deborah Tony, Dr. Ramey Alexander, and Dr. Laura Fennimore, all from the National Commission to Address Racism in Nursing. We'll be right back with the second half of the episode. And welcome back to the second half of the episode. We're here again with Dr. Rumay Alexander, Dr. Deborah Tony, and Dr. Laura Fennimore, all from the National Commission to Address Racism in Nursing. This is part one of a two-part series. 
You can tune in right to the next episode coming out for part two, if you'd like to listen to them in order. And Dr. Rumay Alexander, we were talking about definitions right before the break. And I know the commission has come up with its definition of racism. Could you read us the definition and talk about the process and evolution of how you all came to this definition? Would be happy to. I'll start with the second part of what you said, and then I'll read the definition. Okay. There are lots of definitions around racism uh, that have been developed by different organizations and uh, lots of our researchers and um, some pretty, pretty pronounced people who've written books on this area. The one thing for the commission was that we're nurses and there was not a definition that was developed by nurses. And quite frankly, professions are cultures of their own. And I'm and I'm describing culture in this case as uh, the great philosophers, the temptations would say is the way we do the things you do. So a physician will have a different kind of slant on that as opposed to a nurse or a social worker or an anthropologist. But for this work, since it is the commission, a nursing commission, we needed a definition that fits who we are, what we value, how we approach our worlds as nurses. So as the uh, scholar in residence for this work, advising and helping to navigate this space, I was asked to draft something for the commission to consider. And um, here's where we landed. So I drafted something. We made um, one edit to it. And uh, what I'm reading you now has that edit in it. But it does capture us as nurses and, and, and it captures what we heard people telling us about the pain and the suffering. So the definition officially is the commission defines racism as assaults on the human spirit in the form of actions, biases, prejudices, and an ideology of superiority based on race that persistently causes moral suffering and physical harm of individuals and perpetuates systemic injustices and inequities. Mm. That's, no, that's really wonderful. Would you read that one more time? Happy to. We define racism as assaults on the human spirit in the form of actions, biases, prejudices, and an ideology of superiority based on race that persistently causes moral suffering and physical harm of individuals and perpetuates systemic injustices and inequities. Hmm. Thank you. That's, that's really powerful. And Dr. Fenimore, from your perspective, you're coming from the academic world again. When we talk about racism and we look at it through the lens of this definition that has come from the commission, how do you, how do you process that and then bring it back to your work to the educational space or anyone else who you work with, what does this definition mean to you and how do you, how do we carry it forward into the world? 
That's a great question, Keith. You know, I think words matter. And in academia, Mm -hmm. words matter a lot. We expect our students to be able to define disease states or patient conditions or or you name it. A definition is absolutely a critical component of it. So getting the words right was really important Mm -hmm. to this national commission and uh, making sure that it was descriptive of the experiences that nurses have received from across the millennia, really, uh, or at least across several centuries of our existence as a profession. So I think Mm -hmm. that opportunity for educators to use this definition to talk about its its component is really essential. And it's not in one course, as as Romay was alluding to, this is something that should be present as we teach different concepts of health, should be present as we talk about health inequities, should be um, present in every level from undergraduate to graduate degrees, as as you said, Keith, across our PhD and DNP programs as well. I think that there is hope in that um, there, is a, an attention by educators to, to recognize that this is content that needs to be included within our curriculum. And the hope I think has come in terms of some revised competencies that uh, the American Association of Colleges of Nursing has just put forward uh, again in 2021, um, really building on the work of the Future of Nursing report that also came out in, in 21. So I think you're seeing a convergence of many different activities, recognizing that um, health equity, understanding the role of racism within health and healthcare and how it impacts our profession of nursing is just something that uh, we, we will see woven through every part of what we teach in academia. Thank you. And in that academic space, Dr. Tony, rec- uh, she recognize that, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, DEI is important in terms of how we we teach people. What is what does that actually mean? And Dr. Fenimore, are those terms becoming more clear? And can you kind of paint a picture for us of how one might draw the differences between those three things, which are actually quite quite different, aren't they? They are different. And I think it's important that people not get um, perhaps too comfortable in just using the an acronym of DEI, um, because I think mm-hmm. it's, it's, uh, it's very easy to lose the richness um, that is included within each one of those, those terms. And when we think about diversity, we think about representation and recognizing whose perspective is not been heard or has not been valued in any decision that that is made. When we think about inclusion, how do we make sure that those voices are present and are included, that are part of policies, that are part of decision-making, that are a, a part of who makes up this workforce that we call uh, nursing. And from an equity perspective, you know, we, we think about equity in terms of um, disparities oftentimes, um, but and, and who's not been treated uh, equitably 
uh, and recognizing that treating everyone equally is not the same thing as equity. Um, equity for me means recognizing that there are individuals who are at risk, who've not had the same opportunities that I might have had as a white woman, but the, uh, the recognition that more needs to be done and offered to individuals who've not had that those those experiences to to provide an equitable sense of of, of pra in practice in education in policy and and in research dr tony that goes further than diversity uh, everybody thinks you know let's hire a diverse workforce let's get more folks in here that don't look like us uh, and now we've done what we've what we need to do. But now those folks are not in power. Uh, they're basically just there and a lot of the things that we just really kind of talked about. Uh, so when you again, like you say, inclusion, mm -hmm. uh, et cetera, are people at the table. And that goes back to my whole wall of fame, hall of shame. Um, where, where, you know, where's the leadership? And then equity, I think about. Uh, things that I deal with on a uh, a regular basis. You know, when we start talking about inequities or equity, when it relates to not creating two two tier systems within healthcare organizations, where you've got certain type of services that you're going to provide for a certain group of people that have insurance, and then you got the other, then you got everybody else. Uh, and I'll just say that that's been a long standing and that really irks me. And it's like, Deborah, we're, yes, we are talking about that today. We're not talking about the equity. Yes, we are. So people really don't understand what equity is. And, and I want to get to that because that's one of the slides that I always show. And I'm sure we've all seen that. We're all at the baseball game, but I can't see. You know, because I, I, I can't see I've, I've got a lower level here and you got the tall folks and you got all the other folks that's able to see, but I can't see. So if I'm not enjoying in that opportunity, if I'm not enjoying the rich health care and all the benefits that other people are receiving, then that's a problem for me because we're not receiving mm -hmm. equitable care. You're calling patients to come in that have insurance, but nobody called me. Uh, maybe I don't have the right type, but <laughs> that type I of thing. You. And I, again, I'll kind of slow up a little bit because mm -hmm. I can get very passionate about that. Uh, but when we start talking about DEI, you know, uh, everybody's hiring DEI officers, et cetera. Um, and if they're not passionate, if they're just assuming a position, then it doesn't, you know, it really doesn't work. So if you have, if you have um, nurses who are being, barriers being put up to promotion, they're not being sent up into positions of leadership and you have that wall of shame, right? You have all white leaders and then you have all, you know, people of color, you know, working in the staff positions or middle management, and there's, they can't make it anywhere into positions of leadership. Or you also have, you said the health insurance and the care, um, the problems that, it, that affect the patients in terms of racism, in terms of these structural barriers. So you're talking from, from the, on the practice level and also what the patients are experiencing out there in the world. And then Every nurse. Well, dual har dual harm, you know. Yeah, and every and every nurse is a citizen as well. So a black nurse who lives out in her community, 
it's not just happening at work. It's happening when she goes to the store or whatever. So Dr. Alexander, I know you, you were really, um, you really wanted to hop on the mic here with something to throw in. Yeah, because I think uh, my colleagues have said it well. Um, I, I, the lines, people do blur them. Mm-hmm. And the point of the matter is diversity is about difference, period. Whether you're talking age, race, generation, body size, um, veteran status, sexuality. So diversity is a fact. In other words, you can point to the differences if you want to and count them. So you can have diversity and not have inclusion. That was the point I wanted to jump in on. You can have all these various people at the table that look different mm-hmm. and not have inclusion at all, which right. is what my what Deborah and Laura are talking about. Yes. Inclusion. So diversity is a fact. Inclusion is an act. A-C-T. Mm-hmm. And equity and equity is a goal. Yes. Because we are not there. Equity is about giving people what they need, when they need it, in the way they need it. Mm. That's what Deborah was just describing with the pictures of the people at the different levels looking over the fence. So somebody who's taller doesn't have the same need as somebody who's shorter. Mm-hmm. To that extent, one size does not fit all. And 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 trying to 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 make decisions that say everybody's going to do this without right. considering the differences in background, in perspective, in the way life has set them up so that they're hostages of their circumstances, not of their ability. It, it requires a much more complex and bigger look at things over against. Well, we're just going to have this policy and we're going to treat everybody the same. <laughs> Deborah said it. Treating everybody the same is not treating everybody equally because not everybody needs the same thing. Right. Right. And that's where in this term that you all shared with me prior, inclusive excellence, that that ability to to reach for that particular goal. Right. Yes. Inclusive excellence is a way of going beyond those terms to talk about strategic planning, resource allocation, hiring and promotion practices patient care practices, strategic planning. Mm -hmm. In other words, it's not a set on the side. It is a full integrated in everything one says and does because we all want to give excellent care. We want to be excellent. That's what the mission and vision statements say on all those walls that (laughs) Deborah was talking about. All right. They, 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 you, I don't care where you go, academic institutions or a health care provider. They've got those things on the wall. I like to say, get it off the walls into the halls. You walk All the right. talk. You right. walk the talk. Right. You walk the talk. And Dr. Fenimore, I know the commission held listening sessions. And what what was the structure of that? And who did you reach out to? And how did they come about and what do they actually look like and sound like? Yeah, actually, I think Dr. Alexander may be a better person to, to answer uh, that particular piece, but I can tell you what it sounded like um, to mm-hmm. me. Some of the, 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 their descriptions were just gut-wrenching. And I think, what year is this? Why mm-hmm. is this still going on? 
And we'd hear from, from nurses over and over again to say, this is not new. This has been happening. And, you know, in, in many respects, it feels like a wake-up call to us and the commission to say, uh, why'd you wait so long for this to happen overall? So, uh, Ramey, would you like to describe a little more about the listening session? session? Yes, I can talk about that because I helped to, to, to put those in place. So, let's start by understanding that uh, stories are a form of data collection just like other forms, metrics are, and should be respected as that. And we all have our stories. So our stories lead us to where we are now. And what we were trying to do is allow people who have not been in a safe space to share their experiences, which is what stories tell, what our experience has been, um, was an important piece in understanding and getting context for the work rather than assuming. So think about that as gathering data, the storytelling piece. And um, we wanted to hear from those. So we asked for, in a broad way, people to share their stories with us, the nurses of color. What Laura referred to is there was not a session where people told those stories, which line up with our definition, the assaults on their personhood, the moral injury. I mean, it's, it's more than the bruise on the outside of my body. It's, it's, the, it's the spirit murder, that continuous everyday somehow being told you're not good enough or implied that you're not good enough or that um, you're incompetent or having to prove a million times that you are competent. I went to all the schools you went to. I jumped through all the hoops you went to and you're still questioning my abilities. Right. So it's, 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 it's really like um, hitting your head up against a, a glass ceiling and getting a concussion. It's like, this is going to kill me before you get it. Mm-hmm. And so that's the constant piece in the stories. What the stories also told us is that while many believe that things are better, and then some, depending on where you focus, some things are. But the stories that these nurses told are the same stories that people told in the 60s. It is 2022 and the same stuff. And that's what Dr. Fenimore said was, what, what year is this? Yes. Yeah. Right. What year is this? And so it, it looks different. But it's still there that Isabel Wilkerson in her book cast talks about those worn grooves and those ways in which we've sophisticated it a little bit, or I like to say camouflage it a little bit Mm -hmm. uh, so that it 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 seeps in in an insidious way. That's that persistent piece we talked about earlier, that Mm -hmm. that perpetuation over time Mm -hmm. and that it shows up dressed in a different set of clothes. So we sometimes don't recognize it. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, it is what it is. And so in those stories, we wanted to hear their personal experiences since we're all experts on ourselves. Nobody knows us better than we do. So when we we start talking about how we were hurt and harmed and, and, and assaulted, that moral piece goes mm-hmm. against the oaths that we take as healthcare providers, be it the Hippocratic Oath mm-hmm. or Nightingale Pledge. Mm-hmm. And we're 
we're perpetuating those pieces. And to that extent, uh, we needed those stories as context for what needs, what do people who are being oppressed in that way need relief from? How is it showing up? That's really what we were doing. And that led to those reports that uh, Laura and Deborah have referred to. Yeah. And Dr. Tony, I just wanted to ask, did, did issues of during these listening sessions, I'm assuming they were recorded, right? These, these were either Zoom or, right? They were group conversations. Um, did issues of class come up too? Did people talk about class or was it more, did it have more to do pretty blatantly with, with issues of race in the workplace? I'm going to say um, it was really race. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how people felt, uh, a lot of the things that Ramey just mentioned, uh, as Laura said, also was just heart-wrenching. You mm-hmm. just really, you know, it was, it was like you were being assaulted and you felt for uh, those individuals and what they, uh, what they have been experiencing. And the other thing that was amazing for me is they didn't know what to do about it. Uh, they didn't know who, how to escalate these things up. Uh, and, and a lot of their solutions had to do with, well, I guess it's time for me to leave here. But then you go someplace else and the same exact same thing is happening there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then even being able to recognize that that's what's happening to you is that you're facing discrimination, racism, et cetera. Uh, but it really was a, a race. Mm-hmm. And the things that I shared earlier um, is that, well, we have all white men as our leadership or we have all white women who was our leadership. Uh, those are things that that came out from uh, nurses during those sessions. And that's what Dr. Alexander was saying is assessment, right? That's the first yes. step in the nursing process, much as yes. students yes. get tired of hearing about it. Um, <laughs> yes. like we're, we're gathering data. That's what we're doing. And so the commission yes. gathered data. And Dr. Fenermore, we'll start with you as we wind down. And I don't want to because there's we could I could do this with y'all for hours. Um, but Dr. Fenermore, from your perspective and what you've learned from your work in the commission and also your work out in the world beyond the commission, let's talk about solutions because Dr. Tony brought up that word and that's where I wanted to go as we, as we wrap up. So in part two with, with three other guests, we'll talk about this too, but from your point of view, through your lens, where do we go? in terms of solutions? What are some of the steps we can take, even if we have to tread on things we've already gone over, we can, we can talk about them again, because we have to, we have to talk about this stuff ad nauseum, right? So where would you begin? I would begin by focusing on the end in mind. And uh, Dr. Tony, you said it, relative to this is about what happens for the people that that are in our care and recognizing that this is all about the patient, the patient's safety, and and how we interact together impacts that that piece. Um, The second point I would make is we have to be taught and we have to teach this content. In some cases, we have to unteach for uh, people who come to us in our academic uh, programs, they come with a history of bias, 
of, of whatever they may have, have learned. And so we need to teach them about um, the impact that racism and a lack of diversity, inclusion, and equity has in our um, in our, our space and within our profession and it impacting the patients that we take care of. And then thirdly, I think from a solution perspective is to continue to educate all of us about this important issue. And we're doing that through things like your great podcast here, through webinars that have been sponsored by many of the organizations who are represented at the National Commission, uh, including ANA, is to continue to, to educate ourselves and to put into action, as Ramey said, uh, what, what needs to change in order for um, equity to actually happen in our country. Hmm. Well, spoken like a true educator, um, you're talking about education. You, you mentioned we have to teach it, right? So I think that's that's very important. And nurses do a lot of teaching. I mean, that's, that's a, an enormous part of what we do, right? I mean, we can fix things, we can put on dressings, but we teach people. And so thank you for, you know, addressing it from that perspective. And Dr. Tony, how about you from your personal slash professional perspective? Where do we go with solutions now? Uh, solutions to me is we're talking to nurses mm -hmm. right now. So how do we get out and get other professions involved? How do we get those leaders that are at the top of the chain, uh, the ones that we're talking about in healthcare organizations, et cetera, uh, being able to uh, get them involved in this work, those individuals, those leaders that are in control, those that the nurses do not feel like they have access to. But how do we get, well, nurses, we'd like to talk to each other. <laughs> Let me just keep it real. Nurses like to talk to nurses. But how do we talk to the mm -hmm. other professions? How do we talk to the other organizations uh, that, that are not uh, health related? I mean. I think we need to get everybody uh, involved. And, and just like the nurses through the, the listening sessions, uh, how do we get all of the, the chief nurses? Of course, we're accessing them. But then, too, what about the CEOs and the presidents? How do we move that to where uh, some real change can occur that the nurses can actually see, but more than see, that they can mm -hmm. feel? So that that cross pollination between yes. organizations, professions, you know, one of the questions in the back of my mind is, is there a commission to address racism in medicine? You know, it's just these questions are coming up in my <laughs> mind. You know, does that exist? Uh, and Dr. Alexander, how about you from your personal and professional perspective? Well, my colleagues have done well mm -hmm. uh, in summing. Um, summing up some of those actions, I would add to that um, anti-racism work has to occur. Mm -hmm. So it's institutional and individual work. Both have to happen. So one has to understand how they play a part in racism and its perpetuation. How do you actually put anti-racist behavior into play? How do you become an ally or what I call uh, a lot of times in the work of anti-racism, they talk about bystander work. I call it upstander. 
Hmm, like how that. do you how how are you not a bystander but an upstander? Something happens to Laura, Deborah, and they're just trying to that moral assault has occurred, and they're just trying to get their presence back. And while they're catching their breath, I step up and speak. I call it out, even though it didn't happen to me. Rather than say I'm glad it didn't happen to me, <laughs> uh, that's her problem. It did so. This anti-racism work is is important. And in fact, we we had an infogra- uh, infographic on the 10 ways to think about um, how to be an anti-racist, which is very, very popular. Whenever we take it to a convention or anything, we cannot keep the copies on the desk. But that's an important piece. I think wicked questions. Wicked questions, the, the questions that people don't want to talk about or don't want to ask. I bet you figured out we're not the shy ones. So we're probably more guilty of asking the wicked questions. Those of us on this call, we have no trouble doing that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But those those questions have to be asked. They have to be given light because what is uh, when the implicit is not made explicit. Injustices flourish. Mm -hmm. So we have to pull that implicit out because remember, I said it's so woven into the fabric. You can't even see it. So so you got to call it out and or otherwise the injustices will appear because it gets normed. It gets this is how we've done it. This is the way we've always done it. This is tradition It's sacred. So we can't mess with it. And yet we're passing it along. I think dead assessments, need, dead idea assessments need to happen. What you need to stop doing, what you need to start doing. And what you need to quit supporting. But again, this is how we've always done it, that mm-hmm. passing it on piece. Uh, and it no longer works in this world. It's like an old snapshot. It's true. That's not uh, the current snapshot. And lastly, uh, I would say, how do we do this by design? Strategically, giving it thought rather than by default. Uh, And so we shape and we create. And, you know, I mentioned being the vessels of hope earlier, but you think about a potter, a potter uh, at the potter's wheel is shaping the clay. They're not letting the clay just take whatever form it wants. It's happening by design. And it means that the potter has to put themselves into it. They have to use their hands and their heart and their eyes and their vision. And that's what needs to happen. Also, is that we have to bring our whole selves, admit that we're not perfect. None of us are. Work on ourselves. Individually, and then be that conscious wherever we are that calls out. How is it showing up? Because the question is, is is not did racism show up? The question is, how did it show up? That's the perspective. And. Dr. Fenimore, I know the work of the commission is going to continue. It's not just over, right? There's there's more to come, isn't there? There is more to come. And yeah, where can people learn about the commission? What social media is the commission active on? And what can people expect next? Absolutely. So there, there we have a website um, that if you just put into a search engine, National Commission, to address racism, it pops right up. And that website has uh, 
the listening sessions that we were talking about. It has the infographic that uh, <clears throat> Ramey mentioned. It has um, the summary report that has been created by the, uh, the commission. And it is the place where we will continue to post webinars and other resources that are available. There's a listing of all of the commissioners of the um, commission on that website. So you um, interested um, nurses could, could look up any of us on that and ask for additional information. Um, I, the, the website just keeps getting better and, and better with more and more rich resources. And we're very appreciative of, of all of that, that work that is um, being done really um, with a lot of support from ANA staff, but this is you know, this is a collaborative effort from all of these these organizations. Um, so we're ex excited that the work of the commission will continue. That's great. And is this happening on social media as well? Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, when when the report was was uh, released earlier this year, there was a lot of activity in so social media. So pick your social media of choice. Mine happens to be Twitter because I'm a little more old school uh, than uh, some of my younger uh, colleagues. But it it is a place that that people can follow the work of the commission on on social media. That's wonderful. Well, Dr. Deborah Tony, Dr. Ramey Alexander, Dr. Laura Fennimore, thank you so much for helping launch this two-part series. The next episode will be coming out directly after this one. And this is great work. And as the commission's work expands and continues, it will be wonderful to have you all back in various configurations. And also, I'd love to have leaders of the various individual organizations. So Dr. Tony. We can talk offline about leaders from the different groups represented by NSEMA, the National Coalition of Ethnic Minority Nurse Associations. Okay. And we can bring some of those people into the conversation through this podcast. So I'd love to do that. Yes. So, yeah. So thank you all so much. This has been wonderful. You all are, are brilliant and courageous. And thank you for, for calling this stuff out, as Dr. Alexander said. And thanks for bringing it to our attention. And doing the work that needs to be done. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nurse Keith Show. Remember, the show notes will be at nursekeith.com in the podcast episode drop-down menu. If you need personalized holistic career coaching, look no further than nursekeith.com. Mention the commission or this episode. Get a 10% discount on your first coaching package. Become a patron at Patreon if you would like to and leave a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We are a proud member of the Health Podcast Network, so please check them out at healthpodcastnetwork.com. The Nurse Keith Show is produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting and Mark Cappy Spiesen is our stalwart social media ringmaster. Before we say goodbye, I'll leave you with this quote by the musician Robert Fripp. May my living honor my parents. May my living repay the debt of my existence. Be well, dig deep, seek joy. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico. Dr. Gumay Alexander saying goodbye from lovely Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And Dr. Deborah Tony bidding you adieu from Nevada Health Centers in Las Vegas, Nevada. And Dr. Laura Fennimore seeing Arriva Derchi from University of Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. 
All right. Thank you to all of you. Thanks to everyone for listening. And we will catch you on the proverbial flip side. Thank you.